0: What's going on? Happy Monday. Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110 99.3 WBT 704-570-1110 1-800-WBT-1110. Remember, you can get the podcast uh, at WBT.com or the Pete It's uh It's all there. And then you get the you get the show uh, condensed down to like 28 minutes and it comes right to your smartphone or tablet immediately after each hour. George does all the work on that. I don't claim any credit. Um, but it's very simple to use. And then you get recommendations for all of uh, the other podcasts, too. On Twitter, at Pete Callender. And you can always email Pete at the Pete Callender Show. So I go to fill up the car the other day, over the weekend. And it's about half a tank down. And so I pull in and I gas up. And it's like 40 bucks. I do not have a big car. And it's a, It's a Mitsubishi Outlander. And so uh, $40 to fill up the tank. And it was only like half a tank. But it led me to figure out how to cut my fuel bill in half. Just fill up half the tank. So if I just keep filling up half the tank, then the $40 is not 80 I think that's how that works. I think I figured it out. So I've, I decided because I am a giver, you can now utilize this information for yourself. So just fill up at the half tank point, and then it's not going to be $80, right? I know. It's brilliant. <laughs> so, oh, but don't worry. If the price of the gas is a problem for you, don't worry because North Carolina's Attorney General Josh Stein is on the case. He's on the case. He is, uh, this is the headline at uh, WBTV.com, quote, North Carolina AG paying attention to price gouging as gas prices climb. Serious question. How would you know if you're being gouged at this point? But also, uh, I think during the break, I think what I will do is... Call the attorney general's office and report the price gouging and uh, send him in the direction of the address where it is originating, which would be, what, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? Right. I'm pretty sure that's where this is coming from. No, no, it's the Russians. Um, it's always the Russians. Is there anything they can't do? I mean, besides keep like the Soviet Union together and apparently like fulfill their their invasion of Ukraine in the time frame that they said that they would. Um, gas prices now have soared over the past week. Early this morning, some spots were seen with prices well over $4 a gallon. This is the WBTV story. I think I filled up and it was like three eighty nine dollars or something. Yeah, it's it's insane. North Carolina Attorney General Josh Stein is paying attention to those rising prices. The state remains under Executive Order No. 116, which is the COVID-19 State of Emergency Act. And so any state of emergency allows the Attorney General to initiate price gouging investigations. But isn't that convenient? We've been under this emergency order. Did you know that tomorrow will be two years? Yeah, tomorrow is the two-year anniversary of when... We went under the uh, emergency declaration, or as I like to call it, the ED, uh, Roy Cooper's ED. So Stein said there's no set percentage or standard increase in costs when it comes to price gouging. It's just really, it's it's a subjective standard. You know, they'll know it when they see it kind of thing. It's all based on how the price was arrived at. But um, if you are going to file a complaint, just be aware uh, apparently, it takes about a year—a year of investigation. That's how long it took when they got the complaints from the Colonial Pipeline. Remember when Russia once again, Russia, right? When they took down the the Colonial Pipeline, and uh, we had the gas shortages, and so they've just wrapped up some of the uh, the investigations from then. North Carolina. State average is at $3.92 a gallon according to AAA that is up 4 cents in the last 24 hours. Folks, this is what like hyperinflation looks like. This is what it looks like. This is why people like on talk radio shows and on Fox News conservative media outlets, people always talking about buying gold, buying silver, for just this kind of occasion, God help us if we actually have to start using them as currency. But this is, I mean, that's the hedge. You put your money into these hard metals. Um, I'm not a financial advisor. Just letting you know. Um, 71 cents. Oh, it's up 71 cents from a month ago, 30 days ago. The national average is over $4 a gallon. In South Carolina, it's 3.88, So it's $0.04 cents cheaper. AAA predicts prices could hit $5 in major cities in the coming weeks. Let's go, Brandon. News Newstalk Ninety Nine Three WBT. A reminder that on Saturday, April 9th, 7.30 p.m. at Halton Theater at CPCC, we'll be celebrating WBT's 100th anniversary You can come on down, join all of us at WBT and the largest group of WBT alumni ever gathered together in a single event. We're going to be honoring 100 years of WBT history and inducting three new members into the WBT Hall of Fame. So uh, if you haven't gotten your tickets now, go get them. Go to WBT.com. You can get all the details as well. It's WBT's 100th anniversary celebration presented by the Center for TMJ and Sleep Apnea. So the national average price of gas in America, now over $4 a gallon for the first time since 2008. And experts say it may not come back down for some time. It's the report from uh, Queen City News, Fox46.com. As of Sunday morning, national average was uh, 4.009 per gallon. And uh, do, 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 do gas prices jumped by about 41 cents in the last week, according to Gas Buddy. This time last year, Americans were paying roughly 276. But some good news: the Biden administration uh, sent some people to Venezuela to try to talk to yeah to try to talk to the, the dictator down there, uh, try to well, I think there's, yeah, I think there is like a quota. There's a certain amount of oil that we have to buy from dictators and authoritarian regimes. I think that's the deal. It's a requirement. Yeah. And so that's, well, yeah. So if we're not going to buy it from Russia, then we got to we gotta make quota. So, hey, Maduro, give us some of your oil. Um, So it'll all be fine. Don't worry. Just last week, all 31 member countries of the International Energy Agency agreed to release 60 million barrels of oil from their strategic reserves to, quote, send a strong message to oil markets that there will be no shortfall in supplies as a result of the Russian invasion. The U.S. is also having an active discussion regarding whether or not to ban Russian oil imports, according to The Hill. In addition to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, seasonal factors like increased demand, Refinery maintenance and a switch to summer blend gas could send prices upward of $4.25 a gallon by Memorial Day, according to GasBuddy. And uh, experts say other influences like the COVID-19 pandemic, because of course, supply chain disruptions, because of course, and severe weather make forecasting even more challenging and can alter the actual price at the pump. No mention in the story about Uh, U.S.-based production or refinery capacity or our ridiculous short-sighted and uh, suicidal energy policy. Um, Got an email here from David who said, Pete, why do I get the feeling that, uh, that Biden would try to find a way to drill for oil on Jupiter before he would consider opening the Keystone Pipeline? You do get that sense, don't you? You do get the sense that they don't, they don't care about becoming energy independent unless it is under the terms that they demand. It, oh, Tom Tillis talked about this. The other day, Tom Tillis, U.S. senator from North Carolina, got on a Zoom call with some reporters and uh, talked about NATO and uh, Ukraine and stuff. But he also talked a little bit about energy and said that the U.S. needs to regenerate our ability to be an energy superpower Uh, i think we
1: need to do it because this could be a protracted situation that's going to hurt a lot of people it's first and foremost it's harmful to the ukrainian people but it's also going to hurt struggling families here in north carolina and across the country as gas prices go up uh, and and inflation continues to spiral out of control so we're going to work hard to support the president as a member, as the uh, co-lead of the Senate NATO Observer Group. I'll be in contact with our NATO partners and allies to make it very clear that we're committed to the alliance. We're also committed to our Article 5 obligations, which means that if Russia sets one foot in a NATO territory, we have an obligation to defend our allies in the region, and we'll do it.
0: Right. So then he starts talking a lot more about Ukraine and Russia. He said he doesn't he said he doesn't think Putin is stable. I have seen these reports, too. I don't know what to make of them. Here's what uh, Tillis said. The
1: real question here is how stable is Putin and how far uh, how he will react to what I think are appropriate measures that we're taking to hold him accountable. Uh, they are a, um, a nuclear power. And I don't think he's a particularly stable leader, so we're going to have to continue to manage that. But we also have to understand this this discussion about, for some reason, the invasion of Ukraine is not something the U.S. should be concerned with is absolute hogwash. Uh, we're committed to the NATO alliance. We know that our safety and security is intrinsically linked to many of our NATO partners and allies, and we have to stand ready to to defend anyone if if. Putin goes anywhere into a NATO country. Um, but I tell you, I think Putin's really miscalculated. When you see Switzerland, Finland and Sweden, not NATO countries, uh, take a position. When you see Turkey uh, take the position that it has and actually working with the Ukrainian Uh, government, I think that Putin grossly miscalculated our reaction. I think he thought that we would be in disarray, that we wouldn't come together quickly. Germany increasing its defense budget by $100 billion, shutting down uh, Nord Stream pipeline are big deals. And they're not things that I think Putin gamed out. Now, having said that, we have to worry about his stability. We have to worry about his reaction to losing. He's losing. He's already demonstrated And in Ukraine, that his uh, aspirations to have superiority in a matter of days or a week or so is just not going to occur. So we have to be mindful of that and use diplomatic channels to try and de-escalate. All
0: right. So just for the record, that was not my computer that did that. I'm a professional. Come on, I wouldn't leave that in there. Uh, That's it it was in the audio from the reporters uh, that were that uh, broadcasted so and recorded the Zoom call with uh, Tillis. All right. We'll have more from this press conference or this. Zoom conference, I guess, in a minute. News Talk 1110 993 WBT. Pete Callender here 704 570 1110, 1 800 WBT 1110. And the email is Pete at com, which is actually where I have this message from Joseph, who says, Imagine if Senator Tillis got as animated and outraged about the opioid epidemic, which is killing Americans at record rates as he does some ethnic conflict across the Atlantic. Just because, well, to be fair, Joseph, I'm not sure if Tillis has not gotten as animated about that. I I mean, I'm sure if I go onto his website and pull up some press releases from the media office, I'll probably find some stuff in there about it, but I digress. Just because Russia's actions are rustling the jimmies of whoever pulls our politicians' strings doesn't mean the American public has any real vested interest in it. After all, Putin never called any American an insurrectionist and tried to destroy their lives. Seems like our biggest enemies are here at home. Um, I don't know if uh, Tillis, I have not, I've listened to the interview twice. I did not hear him call for us to directly go fight for Ukraine. So I don't know. Like, I I don't understand this conflation of Ukraine with NATO. He's talking about NATO, which we do have, we have a pact with, with these other countries. That was the point. And if people don't want to be part of NATO and are opposed to NATO, I mean, I guess that's a position, but I didn't hear to, I, again, I'm going to play for you the sound bites. Maybe he says it, and I just missed it twice. But he's not making any argument to go into Ukraine. But he is saying we should punish Russia for going into Ukraine with these with the sanctions. He's in favor of these sanctions. So and and if Ukraine wants to buy stuff, you know, we can we can supply them. So. Um, That was the whole point of NATO. Anyway, well, here, this is he he was asked if he's comfortable with the number of U.S. troops being deployed to NATO countries.
1: Well, I think that Putin knows what we all know. Uh, The NATO alliance dwarfs his capabilities. Uh, The only reason that he is a credible threat is because he does have access to nuclear weapons. Uh, But he understands that in a um, in a traditional war that he's outmatched and outnumbered. Um, he's not even proven in in a country where his army dwarfs the Ukrainian army, he hasn't even proven that he can move successfully through Ukraine. And I also think that he's got the pressure back home. Uh, Russian soldiers are dying. Many more are going to. Um, And he's going to have to answer to the Russian people. And I suspect people in the Kremlin who are kind of wondering why they're there. We've heard reports of of, uh, Russians who have been captured uh, telling Ukrainians that, They uh, they thought they were on exercises. I think there's a lot of confusion. And I think that Putin should understand if he's having problems uh, taking the fight to innocent uh, men and women and children in Ukraine, uh, they multiply exponentially if he sets one inch into any NATO country.
0: Yeah, so uh, he's I think he's being pretty clear there. NATO countries versus Ukraine. There is a different approach. Um, then he was asked about, uh, the, you know, some in your party are even complimenting Vladimir Putin.
1: Well, first anybody that compliments that Vladimir, Vladimir Putin is complimenting what I believe to be a mass murderer. Um, and so there are no compliments coming from me or my office. Um, I think that we have to take a look at the NATO alliance and recognize that the article five commitment has only been exercised one time in the history of the NATO alliance. And that's when NATO countries came to Afghanistan after we were attacked on the homeland. For anybody to think that the ocean separates us from, uh, from any threat to the homeland, they need to pull out a globe and they need to take, uh, take out a history book and recognize that every time that this nation has taken an isolationist stance, it's resulted in world wars. We have to work with our partners. We, we are strong. The United States and the NATO alliance is the most important alliance that's ever existed in human history. And it gives other nations pause. And I should also say it should give China pause. Um, China and, and the American people need to understand if we show weakness towards Russia, then we're showing weakness towards China. China abstained from holding Russia accountable for its murdering and murders and invasions of Ukraine. I want a China that if they really want to come into a Western world and continue to participate in what we think is the best uh, best path to democracy and freedom, then they need to recognize that these sorts of atrocities have to be – they have to be – Putin, in this case, has to be held accountable. And for China to abstain suggests to me that maybe they think there are certain situations where a foreign nation like China, as Russia has done, may invade a sovereign nation and may take them over. So I want to hold China accountable on this. I want to hold Russia accountable on this. And anybody in the United States, particularly people on Capitol Hill, that think that we shouldn't come to the aid of our NATO partners really need to brush up on history.
0: All right, so that's Tillis on uh, rejecting isolationism on China and uh, not complimenting Vladimir Putin. Let me get Craig on. Hello, Craig. Welcome to the program. How are you?
2: Hey, Pete. I disagree entirely with the last caller. Um, We need to be kicking out countries that bring nothing to the table, like Latvia, Lithuania. I mean, why did we? NATO is the United States. Every other country is a clinger on to our military, and we're the one putting our butts on the line. And Russia's not going to worry about it. If a nuclear war starts going off. They're not going to worry about Latvia. They're going to be shooting at New York and Charlotte and places like that. Because we're the only ones that can carry our weight in a real fight.
0: So, No, well, that's a nuclear fight. I wouldn't say. I mean, you're, you're talking about the size of the military. Yes. The,
2: the problem is.
0: What was that?
2: If, if we get in a with these people, it, it's. You know, the last caller was talking about world wars. That was pre nuclear age. The nuclear age has changed everything, and Putin is clearly a madman. He looks like he may be terminally ill, and he's he's off his rocker, and you don't know what he's going to do next. And, you know, a, a madman will burn down his country to rule over the ashes.
0: And so what, then just let him invade and take over the entire planet and launch nukes at Let him
2: invade and take over the countries that don't matter. If they, You know, Ukraine had 30 years to build uh, SAM sites and get anti-tank weapons. They should have had enough SAMs to knock out Russia planes 50 times over. They they knew Russia was their only enemy. I feel terrible for the people there. But oh, yeah, you sounded... But been coming for 30 years. I mean, they yeah. should have been so prepared that Russia would never would have walked into that
0: mess. Yeah, I don't think that's realistic. I really don't, because the thing about having a, a nuclear power on your doorstep like they've had is that that nuclear power sets a lot of the terms of how you... Uh, exist, But, uh, Craig, I appreciate the call. News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Pete Callender Show. So I was just looking up the numbers. Um, NATO membership. Number of military personnel in NATO countries. And... Uh, this is from Statista.com or Statista.com. So the U.S. is, by and large, uh, uh, going off of the previous caller's point. By and large, the single source of the largest amount of personnel. So 1.35 million. That's how many the number of military personnel in the U.S. forces that are brought uh, into NATO here. But now I'm I'm just doing some adding. Of Turkey, they're number two at 445, uh, so that would be uh, 4,450,000. France has 208,000. Germany, 189,000. Italy, 174. UK, 156. Spain, 123. Poland, 121. Greece, 106. Romania, 76. Canada, 71. Netherlands 40, Portugal 29,000, Czech Republic 28,000, Bulgaria 26,000, Belgium 25,000. So you're getting into the lower numbers. And then you got uh, what? Belgium, Hungary, Norway, Denmark, Lithuania, Croatia, Slovak Republic, Latvia, Slovenia, Albania, Estonia, North Macedonia, Montenegro, and Luxembourg. And if you add all of those together, it's actually more than our contribution in personnel, not finance, uh, not financial, but in personnel. But everybody's supposed to be committed to giving 2 percent of their GDP to mutual defense. Now, again, if you're if you're making an argument against NATO, then and which is what uh, the previous caller, I think, what Craig was uh, seemed to be arguing. But but I wasn't really sure because. He said, "At one point, we need to kick out all the countries that don't matter." And I'm like, "Who defines what countries don't matter? Um, is it Craig? Is it me? Like, or is it NATO? Because it seems like NATO has that responsibility, and they did decide that those countries mattered, and that's why they let them in. And is and then I guess there's the question of, as Americans, does NATO?" as it's currently formed, does it serve our national interest? And I don't know, I I think it's a pretty compelling case that if you can assemble essentially a three million person standing army just due to the alliance, and it is meant to uh to stop the spread of expansionist authoritarians, particularly Russia, I'd say it seems like it's done a pretty good job so far, right? All right, what do you think? Uh, Gary, welcome to the program. Hello, Gary.
3: Hello, Pete. Right. Hey, uh, so Craig was terribly misinformed. So, Craig, if you're still listening, uh, I'm going to educate you. Friend. Oh. did not have the ability to defend themselves. Well, as recently as 1996, they had 30 nuclear warheads with the ability to deliver those into Moscow. But William Jefferson Blythe IV... Uh, Talked them into uh, disbanding their their nuclear program. And there was actually a video on YouTube that was circulated as recently as last week that had Bill Clinton crowing from 1996 at a press conference about how much safer the Ukraine would be and the world, for that matter, if they would just get rid of their nuclear arsenal. Well, sure enough, they did, uh, with the promise that Bill Clinton gave them that we would defend them, we being the United States, would defend them against Russian aggression. And so, Here we are today, fast forward 26 years, and the Ukraine played ball with the world, and now their sovereignty is being completely violated. So they were prepared, unlike what Craig seemed to suggest. They had a nuclear program. They had the ability to deliver that uh, nuclear uh, program. I was in the military during that time. I know very, very well... That, that they were capable of defending themselves, and so so Craig's assertion was completely uh, off base. He has no
0: idea what he's talking about. Well, also, I think that the Ukrainians have proven that they kind of have been prepared. I mean, as best as they could be under the circumstances, but they seem to be doing okay. Uh, like they like Russia was not able to roll on through, and some of the stuff I've seen, like I saw some guy um, he was. Um, a uh, motor vehicle pool guy from the military, and he was talking about pictures that he's seeing of these Russian uh, vehicles where, where the sidewall tire the uh, sidewalls of the tires are just shredded. And he said this comes from and what he what he recognizes is that that comes from poor maintenance, that they're not rotating the vehicles around and keeping the tires out of the sunlight. And then when they went into the mud, they tried to lower the uh, the pressure in the tires and it just blew out the tires. And so if oh, yeah. that's yeah, if that's what the tires and the trucks look like, can you imagine all of the other vehicles that they're running? The Russian vehicles. Yeah, you
3: know those uh Pete, those Ukrainians are tough SOBs. You don't go through a Ukrainian winter without uh, having a, a tough uh, component to your, mm-hmm. to your personality. I mean, they really are tough over there. So if they're guilty of anything, it's just listening to Bill Clinton and the Democrat Party and getting rid of their nuclear weapons. And I challenge anyone, don't take my word for it. Go ahead and do a little research. That's a fact, Jack. They, yeah. that Bill Clinton talked them into giving up their nuclear weapons, and that's why they're in the pickle they're in today.
0: Yeah, and it sends a very clear signal that if you give up your nukes, then nobody's going to defend you when a nuclear power tries to roll into your, uh, into your country. Too. Right. Especially yeah.
3: especially a Democrat president, that's
0: for sure. Well, yeah. <laughs> Gary, thanks for the call, man. Appreciate it. Yep. I'm at 704 570 1110 1-800-WBT-1110. Uh, yeah, it was a fascinating thread on Twitter that I uh, came across over the weekend. The guy just from a single picture is able because he and he explains like his job when he was the new guy in the motor pool he was the one that had to keep moving the trucks like every 30 days you got to turn the engines over you got to move them and you got to keep the you got to park them real close together so sunlight doesn't get in between and ruin the tires and that's why that 40 mile convoy from russia he's looking at that and saying that's why they're all on the road they can't go into the mud